Hello, my name's Thad Lanthrop. I'm the executive pastor here at CIV, and I'm excited to continue on in our greatest of all time message series. And what we're going to see is Jesus's response in the middle of an intense situation really illustrates why he is the greatest of all time. So won't you read this situation with me? It's John, John 8, 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Jesus' response to this situation teaches us a ton about how we should respond to people. Let's start by putting ourselves in this scene. There you are. You're at the temple. It's dusty. You're listening to Jesus teach. You're, you're amazed at the clarity he speaks with, the authority that he speaks with. you got your sandals on, and you're just trying to understand all that he is saying, you're listening intently, and in comes this interruption. The scribes, which are the teachers of the law, the teachers of the law, the Mo- Moses' law found in the Old Testament, and the Pharisees, which Pharisees were, were people who, it, it means to separate. They, they had separated themselves from general the general society because they thought they were living a holy life that was different from the general public. And they bring a woman caught in the act of adultery. This leaves no doubt of guilt. And there you are. You're you're sitting there knowing that the penalty for this sin is death in the law. And you're watching, what is Jesus going to do? See, Jesus was watched constantly. People were actively trying to trick him. They were looking at every word that he said to try to twist it to get him into trouble have you ever felt like somebody's watching you, waiting for you to make a mistake, to, to pounce on it for their advantage? Jesus can relate. It was like that for him all the time. So back to putting yourself in this situation. So you're sitting there wondering, what's Jesus going to do? There's this woman standing there in public shame for the sin that she has committed. And Jesus bends down, draws a line in the sand, and says, 
Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Wow. Imagine being there and hearing that. What Jesus did was he brought the crowd down to their right level. The crowd was elevating themselves to cast judgment on this woman and throw the stones at her for her sin. And Jesus puts them all in their right place and category. Sinner. Jesus is showing us that self-righteousness, it keeps people at a distance from you. These men didn't care about this woman. She was a means to an end for them, trying to trick Jesus. They cared more about the law and more than they cared about people. They brought this woman before the crowd, publicly shaming her, separating themselves out as righteous, and she is the unrighteous. There's a lot of self-righteousness that's going on in our world today. Those that get the vaccine are shaming people who don't get the vaccine. Those that don't get the vaccine are trying to shame people that have gotten the vaccine. Same with masks. There's an advertisement for the governor recall that's happening this week, and it basically said if you vote for in favor of the recall, you're, you're voting to kill people. It's okay to have strong opinions, but these strong opinions can turn into self-righteousness very quickly, and that repels people. When our opinions become the way to do life, not just a way to do life, it pushes people away from us. Now let's get back to the story that we've been looking at here And what we can learn from Jesus is that holiness is the standard for casting judgment. And once more he bent down on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. I love how the older ones went first right here. They're like, we're we're not kidding anybody. We're we're white as enough to know. We're we're not sinless. We're out of (laughs) here. Can you imagine walking away from this conversation. Jesus has just called out the crowd that is going to stone a woman caught in adultery for being sinners. Maybe you were zealous. Maybe you you had already had a stone in hand ready to exercise the judgment on this woman for her sin. You have to drop it. And you're walking away realizing, who am I? To throw a stone at this woman. Jesus is showing us that holiness blended with love is the right response. John 8, 10 and 11 says, Jesus stood up, said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Jesus had every right to throw stones at this woman. He is sinless. That means holy, without blemish. But instead, he loves her by doing what is right by her. But he doesn't just dismiss her sin. He holds her accountable accountable by calling what she did sin and telling her, go and sin no more. 
This response illuminates that Jesus was the Lamb of God. John the Baptist called him that in John 1.29. says the next day he, it's talking about John the Baptist, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the Old Testament, a spotless lamb was sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. So calling Jesus the Lamb of God is saying that he was spotless, perfect, without blemish. He was holy. It's also saying he is love. Taking on the sins of the world and dying on the cross as a substitutionary atonement for our sins. When you think of Jesus as the Lamb of God, yes, we need to think about his sacrifice for our sins. But we don't stop there. The Lamb of God is holy love. Christ's followers' goal in life is to imitate Jesus. It's in the name, right? Christ follower. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul writes, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We should strive to be like the Lamb of God, holy and loving. However, there's a caution with this. Because it's easy to add on to holiness. Add-on purchases in retail are a big deal because the goal is to get each transaction that someone makes to, to be the highest amount that it can. That's why there's candy on the checkout aisle. They want you to add that on to drive up that price per transaction. The enemy wants us to add on to holiness so that it maximizes the space between us and other people. The world gives us all kinds of ideas about how to set us apart from bad things. There's dietary choices, keto, vegan, carnivore. There's medical options, standard care, alternative, oils, all kinds of things. There's the idea of, I just need to move out of the state and go off grid, separate myself from people. These aren't necessarily bad things in and of themselves, but they can very quickly lead us to be judgmental and exclusive of people who don't want to do life the way I think it should be done. It cuts us off from people. A few years ago, I got very concerned about what I was eating and my weight. I have back problems. I had back surgery in high school, and I have to be careful with how much I gain weight. Like this week, I am feeling the weight that I have gained recently And my back has been killing me. But what happened as I was really concerned about that was I found myself judging the choices of other people and what they were eating, thinking, oh, I've got my salad. Oh, they really shouldn't. I don't know why they're doing that. They shouldn't do that. They should be healthier in what what they're eating. I had no role in the dietary choices of these other people. It wasn't my job to be inspecting what they're doing, but I started to get these ideas in my mind and it was easy to think of myself as better than them. It was easy to think of of them over here and me in a different area when it comes to what I'm eating. Christ followers have to be careful to not add on to what it means to be holy. And another caution that we have is with love. Love can very quickly turn into letting people do whatever they want. 
Our culture's definition of love is letting people do what they want. Says Our culture says people can just have sex with whoever they want, whenever they want. People can get released from jail for committing a crime right away, and that's fine. They don't have to, to pay for what they've done. Or we say, who am I to judge? There's no objective truth to appeal to. This type of thinking, it creates chaos. If there is not some moral standard, then when does the madness stop? Jesus is the example for us. His holiness did not push people away. His love did not compromise on the truth. He blends holiness and love together in a way that it drew him close to people. It didn't push people away. So how can we follow his example and blend holiness and love? Well, one of the ways that we can do this is to remember that we are sinners saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is the perspective needed to keep us from becoming so holy that it turns into self-righteousness. Remember what Jesus did to the crowd, getting ready to stone the adulterous woman. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Maintaining an accurate view on ourselves is vital for us to love one another the way that Jesus shows us we need to. Jesus is the one who's perfect, dying on the cross for my sins. I'm not sinless, and I can't expect those around me to be perfect either. We also need to guard our hearts from harmful ideas. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Our actions and words flow out of what we choose to dwell on in our hearts. And it's so easy to elevate ourselves above other people in our hearts. When we get into a heated argument at work and things are said that overstep bounds, we think, I'd never say that. Or someone offends you. And you say to yourself, wow, I, I, I'd never do that. Those type of thoughts creep into our minds so quickly and easily. We have to guard against them. When we start thinking things like that, we need to stop, pray, and ask God for help. Saying something like, God, I am a sinner saved by you alone. I, I don't boast in my righteousness. I boast in your righteousness. Help me to reject these thoughts that I am somehow better than this person. And ideas don't just pop into our head in situations like that. They come at us from all different angles. We have to guard against thoughts that are, that are against holiness, against God's way. I saw a headline this week that said, Former Disney star says you, you should have sex with whoever you want whenever you want to. Now, that type of headline, it's easy to spot as, I'm pretty sure the Bible doesn't teach on that. You can, you can spot that kind of, type of a, a headline. But there's lots of ideas that take biblical principles and twist them to apply to situations that 
aren't in line with the Bible's teaching. These are the most dangerous thoughts that we have to guard our hearts against. A major principle in American culture right now is to not judge anyone. You hear the phrase all the time, who am I to judge the, to judge anyone is, is what is said. And Matthew 7, 1 says, do not judge or you too will be judged. So Jesus tells us not to judge. And it's easy to think we shouldn't judge anyone at any time. But this idea is not, it's not right. It's not biblical to not judge anyone at any time. I was listening to a podcast this week and the, the topic was how to equip your kids to think critically about their beliefs. And it was with a, a woman named Elizabeth Urbanowitz, and she shared this story from a classroom. She's a teacher, and this story really it, it encaptures this idea of, of judging people. So she was going around and helping the students in her classroom with their letters. They were learning how to, to um, make the correct letters. And she got to this one little girl and she corrected her on how to write the letter. And the little girl said, don't judge me. And she thought it was is really fascinating that this cultural statement just popped out of this little girl. And so she stopped and she said, what, what does it mean to judge someone? Well, it means to determine if something's right or wrong. And she said, is this, is there a right way to write the letter and a wrong way? And the student said, yes. And she said, well, as my teacher, is it my job to teach you the right way to draw the letter? And she said, yeah, it, it is. She said, so, okay, so then it is my job to judge you in this situation. And that's actually, it, it's a good thing to have judging in this situation. You see, that the, the Bible doesn't say don't judge at all. The Bible gives all kinds of examples of roles that there are in people in authority, and it is their job to judge. God gives parents the right to exercise judgment over their kids, teaching them what is right and what is wrong. Pastors are entrusted by God to warn their churches of false teachings that are coming in and instruct them about the truth that's found in the Bible. Bosses at work should hold people to the standards and values of the company, which requires judging. See, thoughts can come into our minds all different ways. They can just pop into our minds and it can lead us towards this holiness that turns into self-righteousness, or we can be led astray towards just letting people do whatever they want, thinking that is the loving thing to do. But that's not the loving thing to do. The type of love found in the Bible is sacrificial love. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 talks about this. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This passage is talking about the ultimate act of love when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. A point that I want to highlight about this example of Jesus dying on the cross is that he asked God not to die on the cross that way. Jesus prayed to God right before he was taken into custody and it would eventually die on the cross. And he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Sacrificial love 
involves us pushing past our desires and our wants to do what is best for the other person before God. And that's the definition of love that you find in the Bible. Ephesians was originally written in Greek, and the Greek word for love is agape in this in this passage. It says, and agape means act in the best interest of someone before God. We're not supposed to let people run all over us and do whatever they want. That is not loving. We're supposed to do what is best for that person before God. That is love. That is what Jesus did for us in dying on the cross for our sins. One last thing I want to highlight is that Christ's followers blend holiness and love as we refuse to add on to holiness with opinions. Romans 14.1 says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. There's so many good things to do in life. This week I started eating healthier. I tweaked my back and it kicked me into gear. I need to take care of my body. In fact, the Bible talks about taking care of your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. So I need to do that, but the Bible doesn't give specifics on how to do that. So Romans 14.1 is telling me that I can't make my way of taking care of my body part of someone else's way to do life the right way, to do life God's way. It doesn't say that in the Bible. Jesus was the greatest of all time. He took an impossible situation and responded with holiness and love in a way that I wouldn't have responded that way. My natural tendency is to to judge. I fall on that side of things. And we all have natural tendencies when it comes to responding with holiness or love. What's your natural tendency? Do you tend towards following the rules of the Bible and and thinking other people need to follow those rules exactly like you think they should? Or are you adding anything on to to how the Bible says to live? Or do you tend to be someone who, who just wants to love people and have peace and you just want to let things go? Wanting people, it's really hard to hold people accountable to what is the truth. Knowing our natural tendencies will help us to figure out how we can each do a better job of following Christ and blending holiness and love. The Bible talks about the blessing of following God comes in the doing, in the putting into practice the things that we're learning from the Bible and doing them. That's where the blessing is. So I want you to take some time right now, jot down some notes or take some time this week. Write down what's your natural tendency when it comes to holiness or or love? And how can you blend those two better this week in situations that you know are coming up? Maybe it's a normal situation that you have. But how can you do that? How can you blend it better together like Jesus shows us how? How can you follow the greatest of all time in this area. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that you have given us the example of how to live life your way. And we ask for your help, Lord. Help us not to fall in the extremes of holiness that turns into self-righteousness or loving so much that we don't really hold any 
standard of truth. Help us to blend these two together in a way that we respond to situations like you responded to the woman caught in adultery, loving her, but holding her accountable as well. Help us to be examples of what you have shown us to do this week. In Jesus' name, amen.